thank you to the Gaither vocal band. I just want to know which one's Mark Lowry. <laughs> I don't trust you behind me. <laughs> I heard Mark Lowry talking to Bill Gaither the other day, and Bill Gaither was talking about when he was young. He said, I'd get up in the morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and go out and milk the cows. Mark said, Bill, didn't anybody tell you you could get that for two seventy nine dollars a gallon down at the grocery store? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a great song. That is what will come at the end. There are people right now, even as I speak, who are being persecuted and killed for their faith. I don't know that I understand what persecution is. I certainly know that I quit complaining about my little trials and troubles to people in general after Peter Vadu was here. You know, when I'm walking through Lowe's with a guy who has never seen as much stuff in his life as is on one row at Lowe's, when he starts telling me how the communists tried to po poison their water system to kill his family, slowly and imperceptibly so that nobody would even know that they'd been poisoned. I was thinking, you know, I've complained about a lot of stuff I didn't have any business complaining about. I don't know if we understand in America what persecution is, what it even means. But there are people all over the world tonight who could give testimonies and show scars what it means to stand up for Jesus Christ. And the price that they have paid, there have been more believers killed in the 20th century than all other centuries combined. We think that the persecution was extensive in the Roman Empire when the church was being established. In fact, we cannot even begin to count or number the believers that have lost their lives in Muslim countries and in China for their faith. There are countries when you walk through waters of baptism, you are immediately identified and marked, and to be baptized is to sign your own death warrant. We don't understand that kind of pressure. But if we're going to be New Testament Christians, we cannot cop out because the pressure is going to come. There are going to be those times and those moments and those seasons when although we may be spared from what some people have had to undergo, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, the Scripture says we will be persecuted. And so I want to ask you to look in your copy of the Scripture to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. And while you're turning there, I want to say once again, and I know I say this so much it probably just kind of goes over everybody's head, but Junior Hill and I were uh, leaving last Monday at an unearthly and ungodly hour to go to the airport. And he said, uh, I just want to tell you something. He said, Sunday night at Sherwood may, may be as good as any place I ever go. And he said, I, I don't know what it is about your church on Sunday night, but something 
is in the air in that place on Sunday nights. And you know, I, I believe that, and I sense that, but it's nice to know somebody that goes all over America comes here and senses that. And uh, I think Brother Billy used to say, your day's not over until you've been to church on Sunday night, and it's not. Because I think the people that don't come on Sunday night miss the greatest blessings in being a member of this church. If I had to choose between two, I'd choose this one. I'd choose this one. Because I, I think this is the greatest blessing that I get all week is church on Sunday nights. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I tell you, this is not a hard thing to sell for me as what God does in this place on Sunday evenings. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. That's a commercial for all those who stay home on Sunday night and watch this service on TV rather than coming themselves. So we won't edit it out because I'm a peacemaker. <laughs> That's me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now that little phrase, because of me, is very important. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, if I were going to start a church or I were going to start a movement, I, I would not do what Jesus did. I would have put the cost of discipleship in fine print in the contract. I would have told everybody how wonderful it is, how great it is, how exciting it is, how, what a great group of people we've got, and I would have cast the vision and painted the big picture and had everybody oohing and on. I mean, I would have had a light show and bells and whistles and say, man, this is the greatest thing since skim milk and you ought to come to be a part of it because how could anybody that doesn't want to be a part of something great not want to be a part of this? This is incredible. And that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. And yet nobody's ever built a movement like Jesus built. Because I want to tell you something, folks. There's still something within the heart of men and women that says, if it doesn't cost me anything, it must not be worth it. The gospel's free, but it's not cheap. And when Jesus laid down the law, and when he said this is what discipleship costs, he put it on the front page. Let me ask you to turn, hold your place in Matthew 5, and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. If you want to see the most concise statements of Jesus on discipleship and what it means to follow him, the Gospel of Luke is the great book to study. Luke chapter 9, there were people coming up saying, Lord, we want to get on this bandwagon. We want to sign up. We want to join. We want to be a part. This looks incredible. This is so great. I mean, how could anybody not want to join up with you? I mean, you're going places. You're doing things. Crowds are following you. This is a great, great place to be. Luke 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man can't get a hotel room. That's what he said. Nobody invites me in. Nobody welcomes me. Nobody turns down the covers for me. 
because of who I am, the world is never hospitable or open to me. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, his father wasn't dead yet. This guy just wanted to put it off for a while. There's no indication in the Greek that his father was dead. He just wanted to follow Jesus when it was more convenient. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Did you notice what these people did? Me first. Me first. They were the first felt need believers. Tell me something that makes me feel good and I'll follow you anywhere. And now look at chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14 and verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus obviously there in verse 26 wasn't talking about hating our family he was saying that your love for me better be priority in your life. You better love me more than anyone else. Your love for me, your passion for me, your desire for me should make all other earthly loves look like hatred in comparison. And if you don't take up your cross, and a cross was not something we wear around our necks or, or jewelry, a cross was an instrument of death. If you don't take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. The prophets were persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. John the Baptist was beheaded because he stood up to the political leadership of that time. Paul was beaten five times, imprisoned, and finally beheaded himself. The 11 disciples left after, Jesus, after Judas denied Christ and forsook him and turned him in. Of those 11, 10 suffered brutal deaths. Only John did not die a martyr's death. He died in exile. And when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at his message, he comes in verse 10 and he says, blessed are those, general statement, who are persecuted. Then in verse 11, he goes from a general statement to a specific statement. Blessed are you. And four times in these verses, he uses that personal pronoun, you. Why is Jesus making a big deal about this? Because he wants to weed out people who just want to go with the flow and follow the crowd. You remember back in the late 70s when Jimmy Carter announced that he was born again? Everybody got on the born-again bandwagon. Larry Flint got on the born-again bandwagon. Did him a lot of good. I mean, everybody got born again. It just seemed to be the thing to do was to get born again. Jesus says it's not just about making a flippant, casual decision and adding me to your life. It is about me becoming your life. And Jesus says when you follow me, you're going to have such a life that the world is not going to know what to do with you. 
They're not going to know how to respond to you. They're not going to know how to react to you. They're not going to know how to interpret you. And so they're going to do to you what they did to me. They're going to try to stop you. They're going to stop, try to make you be quiet. They're going to try to relegate you to a corner. And we should not be surprised in America today that Christians are being cast in a negative light. Jesus says, if you live like I tell you to live, that's exactly the way the world's going to treat you. doesn't matter if the nation was founded as one nation under God. If we live godly, not generic God, but godly lives, the only thing the world knows to do with us is to get us out of the way because we stand in a convicting position in their lives. And so they have to silence us. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that persecution is a certainty. There are a number of verses in the notes there in front of you. I want us to look at the reality through Scripture. Notice that Jesus says when, not if. Not if in case, but when in fact you are persecuted, which means on the occasions in which you are persecuted, at the times in which you are persecuted. Now let's just go through this. I think most of these in your notes you can kind of follow along. Psalm 37 and verse 2, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. Psalm 56 and verse 6, all day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. Psalm 69, you ought to take time to read that tonight. The entire psalm is written to address this idea of persecution. Psalm 119, verse 51. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. Verse 61. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forsaken your law. Verse 69. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe your precepts. Proverbs 29.10. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless. 29.27. He who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. Matthew 10:16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Luke 6:22. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven for in the same way the fathers used to treat the prophets. John 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. <laughs> yeah, the world hates Jesus. Still does. Because he makes them make a decision. If you were of the world, the world would live its own, would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Acts 5.40, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Galatians 6.17, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Dogmatic, emphatic statements. Let me make a dogmatic and emphatic statement. 
Americans are not the stuff of which martyrs are made. We're not martyr material. We've got it too easy. You know why? Because if you say to somebody, you know what, we, we need to give some of our money for this bill. I ain't going to give any of my money away. Let me tell you something. If you can't give money, you're certainly not going to give your life. I mean, if you'll deny God a dollar, you'll deny God a testimony. And we're not the stuff of which martyrs are made. You go to some third world countries, you go to Brazil, and a committed Christian in Brazil, you go ask one, Steve Moore will be here next week, he'll testify to this. If you are a committed Christian in Brazil, you give 30% of your income to the church, and they make less than $10,000 a year. And they give 30% away. We're not the stuff of which martyrs are made. We don't have it in us. We want to be able to keep our lifestyle and keep our comfort zone and keep the, the, the life that we've become accustomed to. And, and we don't really want to. Let's be honest. We don't want to suffer anything. We don't want to have to forsake anything. We don't want to have to give up anything for the gospel. And I... I think we've got it all backwards. I think we've got a, a messed up mentality because we look at Christians in India and in China and in Africa and in South America and we feel sorry for them. I tell you what, they ought to feel sorry for us. In fact, they do. We talked earlier tonight about uh, those of us in leadership needing to part further away. I'm, gonna tell you I'm just going to tell you what will happen. If we ask somebody to part further away, you know what, they'll get mad and go try to find a church where they can park right up at the door. Because we don't want to park another 10 yards away. That would be too costly for us. I mean, you, you let a good rainstorm come on a Sunday, it'll kill a Baptist church. Oh, Lord, we love you. Hold the rain off until afternoon. Because we're not coming back tonight anyway. Lord, we love you, but, but we don't want to pay any price to love you. Now listen to me. If our experience does not match up what the Word of God says, the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with our experience. If, if what I'm walking in and what I'm living doesn't match up with what God says will happen to me if I walk a godly life, then my problem is my experience. I'm not walking the life I think I'm walking. I'm not walking the life that I've lied to myself and convinced myself that I'm walking because I'm not matching up to what the Bible says. And all of a sudden Jesus says, if you're going to be godly, you're going to be persecuted. And we go, whoa, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. I just want to live in a safe little holy huddle and just be surrounded by Christians. I, I don't want to have anything to do with having to deal with persecution. Now, it can take various forms, and let's look at two or three. Number one, you will be reviled, he says. That's a word for insults. It means extreme verbal abuse. You will be verbally abused. The rabbis considered being reviled, a reviler as a person who is equal to a murderer or an adulterer or an idolater. He says you're going to be reviled. In other words, somebody's going to speak evil about you. They're going to try to ruin your name. That's what he's saying here. They're going to call you evil names. Now, let's talk about that for just a second. 
Have you noticed in the world in which we live that somebody can just make a statement about a preacher or a Christian and half the people who hear it believe it? And not only that, we love to spread it. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if a man has lived 50 years of his life in integrity and in godliness, if some lunatic comes out of the woodwork and says, this person's blah, 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 half the people believe them. I hate to say this statement, but I, I, I believe it's true. Gary, Gary and I were talking one day. He said, you know, every one of us are one nutcase away from losing our witness. Because in today's society, all it takes is an insult. All it takes is an accusation. There doesn't have to be any proof. You don't get a chance in this culture to prove your innocence. You're already guilty. And especially in the Christian community. I mean, Donald Trump can sleep with every woman in America and still be popular and, oh, we want to play golf with him. Oh, we want to be with him. Oh, we want to be around. You know, you let some preacher just be sitting at a table with another woman and somebody's going to try to make an issue out of it. Why? Because people love to speak evil of people who are trying to do good. Now, I'm not excusing preachers who get involved in sin. You know me better than that. But I am saying that there are those who love to take a story and twist it. And you know what we don't do? We never look at the lives of the people who tell those stories. We never turn it back on them. And so let's look at their walk. Let's see how they're living. Let's see what they're doing. Let's see if they're doing anything for the kingdom. And, buddy, I, you do not want to get around a bunch of mean Christians because they are spitting vinegar. And they'll hurt you. Revile you, insult you. Secondly, you'll be persecuted. You remember it was the fear of persecution that caused the disciples to run in the Garden of Gethsemane. But after the Holy Spirit came, they didn't have that fear anymore. The word persecute is an interesting word. It means to pursue, to track down, or to put to flight. To pursue, or to track down, or to put to flight. Here's, here's the picture of this word. There's going to be somebody who's going to dog you and follow you and track you and pursue you to try to find something in your life so they can blow the whistle on you. I mean, they just, they're just looking for something. They're just waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the moment, waiting for the first little mess up in your life, and they're going to tell everybody they can about the fact that you messed up. I mean, they can't wait to tell it. That's what this word means. It means to pursue or to track down or to put the flight for somebody to watch over you to try to catch you making a mistake. Let me, tell, let me illustrate this in the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus and his disciples one day on a Sabbath were walking through a cornfield? And they're walking through a cornfield and they're kind of hungry. It's on the Sabbath. And they're, they're a little bit hungry and so they start eating a little food out of the field. And all of a sudden, you know, over here, behind the trees, Pharisees go, Woo! Gotcha! Caught you! Got it in your hand. You better watch it. Don't do that. Not supposed to do that. Now, here's my question. If the Pharisees were such great rule keepers, what are they doing walking in the cornfield? I'll tell you what they were doing. 
persecuting Jesus, following him around. We're going to watch everything he does, everywhere he goes, everything he touches, and the first time we catch Jesus messing up, we're going to tell everybody. We're going to discredit him. We're going to try to destroy his witness. We're going to try to take away the crowd. And that is the culture that we live in today. The culture today plots and plans to try to pull Christians down. Now, let's be honest. You know somebody that's doing that to you. If you're living a godly life, if you're walking with God, there's somebody at work, and I want to tell you, let, let me tell you what they're doing. There's somebody at work with you or somebody in your neighborhood, they're waiting for you to hear an off-color joke and you go, <laughs> and they're going to go, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you loved Jesus. They're waiting for you to just blow it one day and say a cuss word. Ah! I thought you were a godly person. You see, they don't want to believe the best about you. They want to find out the worst about you. And so they're pursuing you. And at your work or in your neighborhood or maybe even within your own family, there is somebody who is just longing and salivating for the opportunity to catch you falling into your humanity so they can remind you that you're no better than they are. Right? Thirdly, you will have people make false statements about you. Notice Jesus says they will tell all kinds of lies or say bad things about you that aren't true. You, you remember what they did to Jesus? They trumped up charges against Jesus. They trumped up charges against Paul. They trumped up charges against Stephen. They trumped up charges against John the Baptist. I mean, that's what they do. They will put words in your mouth. They will say that you said things. They will try to imply something or twist something or take a half-truth and sell it as the truth or take a, a statement out of context and try to make you look like something that you're not. Now, let me ask you to hold your place there and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 because the emphasis here in what Jesus is saying is on falsely. Not that they found something true about you, not that they found something accurate about you, but they falsely accuse you. They falsely have gone after you, falsely said something about you. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, notice not just suffer, but suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. The emphasis is on falsely accusing you. People will falsely accuse you. They'll just make up things. I, I mean, 
I've been in the ministry long enough. I believe, anytime, anybody, anybody tells me anything, anybody said, I'm not surprised anymore. You know, I, I've, had, I, I've had more stuff. I, you know, I can't even write a book. I'm going to write a book, things I couldn't say when I was a pastor. I can't even write a book. People come to me and say, well, you know, I heard you did. I said, I'm going, where in the world did you come up with that? The most dangerous thing about a television ministry is somebody channel surfing catches me in the middle of a story or in the middle of an illustration or in the middle of a sentence and they try to make the whole sermon say that. Well, that's not what I said at all. And if they'd come on Sunday night, <laughs> they would know that. But I'm a peacemaker and I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about that. The reason for persecution. Verse 10, for the sake of righteousness. Verse 11, because of me. Why were you persecuted? Why are we persecuted? Not because we took, now listen, not because we took a stand on a moral issue. Not because we took a stand on a political issue. Jesus is not talking about persecution that comes because you happen to be politically conservative in a liberal environment. Jesus is talking about persecution that comes because you live like Jesus in this world. That's the kind of persecution he's talking about. I don't know if the quote by Ron Dunn is in your notes, but I want you to listen to it anyway. They didn't persecute Jesus because he was good. They persecuted him because he was different. The world will persecute Christians not because they are good, but because they are different. You can be good and not be godly. You see, the word witness and martyr are synonymous terms in the New Testament. Thirdly, there's my reaction to the persecution. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Literally, be exceedingly glad. He says, leap for joy. <laughs> now, boy, that looks a little strange. Can you imagine sometime this week getting a phone call from somebody in your Sunday school class? Hey, guess what, man? We're having a party at my house tonight. We got finger sandwiches. We got cheesecake. We got, we got cookies. We got donuts that are hot from Krispy Kreme. We got Cokes and Diet Cokes and coffee and cappuccino. And we got all kinds of stuff. And we got party favors. We, we got everything. Man, what's the party for? Man, they've been killing me all day. I mean, people have been just verbally abusing me all day. They've been beating up on me. They've been telling me how sorry I am. I have been taking so much junk from people all day. I just wanted to throw a party. <laughs> this is great. I can't imagine anything better. I said, oh, please pray for me. What's wrong? Somebody told me I was a bad Christian today. I think I'm going to go see a counselor. My life's been so hard. That is not what Jesus said to do. He said, be exceedingly glad and rejoice. Leap for joy. Jump up down and say, yes, I'm making a difference. Boy, that would be a different reaction in the world, wouldn't it? I mean, you just walk into one of the plants in Albany, Georgia this week, and take a stand for Jesus and somebody say something and go, Yes! What's your supervisor? 
See how excited he gets for you. That's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Now, a couple of things here. Joy is the thermostat. Persecution is the thermometer. Joy is the thermostat. Persecution is the thermometer. And no matter what happens, the joy of the Lord regulates my life. And the persecution being the thermometer merely means that the level of my persecution reveals the level of my commitment. In other words, if I'm not hot for God, then there's not going to be any persecution. And then I don't have any reason to have any joy. Hey, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I mean, I've called more than one staff member in my office when I've gotten some anonymous letter signed by somebody that didn't want to sign it. I don't read anonymous letters anymore. I figure if they're not smart enough to sign their name, I don't have to be dumb enough to read it. So um, some of you get that a little while. You know, I've called staff members and said, I got this letter. There's somebody in this church that doesn't like me. Oh. <laughs> got a bleeding heart all over the front of your shirt. I know. Oh, it's just, it's hard being a pastor. I wish everybody would feel sorry for me. Let's go out in the garden and eat some worms. Let's just feel sorry for ourselves today. No. Jesus said, when you are doing such a work for me that you look like me, and the world says, we've got to stop that. That looks too much like Jesus. Then get excited about the fact that you're making a difference. That God is using your life. And so what should I do? Three things. We're just about three. Number one, evaluate it. Evaluate it. In other words, why am I being persecuted? Am I being persecuted because I've been a jerk? Am I being persecuted because I've been like Jesus? Why is it coming my way? Is it justified? Is there some truth to it? Did you ever notice that they accused Jesus of being a wine-bibber and a glutton and hanging around with prostitutes? Jesus wore that with honor because he came to save people like that. And you don't save people like that if you don't spend time with them. You see, you've got to ask yourself, is it justified? You evaluate it. Secondly, don't exaggerate it. Don't exaggerate it. I, don't, don't, just because somebody puts you down this week, don't make it sound like they crucified you upside down. And don't exaggerate it. Don't make it any bigger than it is. Remember that somebody is suffering more than you are for the gospel. Somebody is paying a higher price. Thirdly, celebrate it. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. I mean, get your priorities straight. Why, can I, why should I rejoice? For your reward in heaven is great. What Jesus is telling us there is that nothing you do for him goes unnoticed or goes unrewarded. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 29. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, we've done so much for you. Have you seen our giving record? Have you seen our perfect attendance pens? Ha have you seen all the offices that we've served in in the church? 
Have you heard about the mission trip that we went on? Have you, do you realize that we even come on Wednesday nights? We're the committed people in the church. Lord, do you know that I've been to visitation two weeks in a row? Don't you see, God, what I am doing for you? Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the age to come, come eternal life. <laughs> Folks, listen. God is no man's debtor. You don't give up anything for God that God doesn't notice it and God doesn't repay you a hundredfold. The interest you earn on serving God cannot be calculated. I, I have not given up anything that God hasn't given me something back. I have not made any sacrifice that God has not blessed me in spite of it or because of it. It's no big deal that we sacrifice for God. That's what we're supposed to do. I shared this illustration at youth camp a couple of years ago, but I want to close with it because I think it speaks to the difference in our mentality in the church in America and the difference in the mentality of people around the world. A few years ago in communist China, there were three rules regarding religion. Rule number one, you cannot worship in the same place twice. Rule number two, you cannot worship with the same people twice. And rule number three, you cannot organize a religious meeting. Rule number one, you can't worship in the same place twice. That means that we could never gather here. We couldn't be building a building. We couldn't come here. We would have to, next week we would have to find somewhere else to meet or we would be breaking the law. Rule number two, you can't worship with the same people twice. That means that as a husband and wife, you could never go to church together but one time. That means that your children could never go with you to church because you would be breaking the law. That means that you could never sit by your friends that you're planning on going out and eating with after church tonight. You couldn't do that anymore because you've broken the laws of the land. Rule number three, you cannot organize a religious meeting. And so in communist China, what they do is they have someone who's called uh, God's person in the marketplace. And that person is selected at a meeting and they will either wear something on their body or wear a particular color of clothes or wear some kind of identifying mark and they go to the marketplace in the city and there they stand and the, or they walk around and they go to a selected spot and people come to them and find out where the next service will be held. Of course, trying to squash Christianity, which sooner or later people will understand, the more you try to kill Christians, the more they multiply. Squash Christianity, eventually the communists would pay off someone or would get an infiltrator into the church and they would find out who the contact was in the marketplace, God's contact in the marketplace. And when they found that person, 
They would go to them in the marketplace. They would tie them up with ropes. They would gag them, and they would pour gasoline on them and set them on fire in the middle of the marketplace to say to everyone in the marketplace, if you try to organize a religious meeting, if you try to stand up for Jesus Christ, we will hurt you out, we will find you, and when we find you, we will burn you alive. One Chinese pastor came to America a number of years ago, and he was telling that story to a friend of mine. And a friend of mine said to this Chinese pastor, I guess it's a little hard to get somebody to be God's contact in the marketplace if you know eventually they're going to catch you and burn you up. And the communist pastor, the communist Chinese pastor of a hidden church, underground church, tears began to roll down his eyes and he leaned over and he said, Sir, you don't understand. Our greatest hour is when we get to be God's contact in the marketplace. When God has considered us worthy enough to suffer for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not be burned this week, but God has called every one of us in this room to be his contact in the marketplace. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.